Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. In today's economic climate, construction cost and schedule overruns can be disastrous. Innate construction software helps you spot risks before they happen. Their cloud-based solutions give you the real-time insights you need to minimize risk and improve operational efficiency. With Innate, you keep projects on schedule and under budget. Get started today at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T.com. In this week's pod, we were joined by Charlotte Candy to discuss the gamification of risk management. Charlotte leads a team of 20 risk managers within the UK at ACOM. She's a certified IRM fellow with a construction and legal background. She has 17 years experience within the industry. Charlotte has led teams across nuclear, water, rail, and infrastructure domains for both public and private sector clients. She has a passion for increasing knowledge and understanding of risk management by creating lasting legacies for her clients. Charlotte enjoys applying traditional risk theory in creative environments. I think creative being the operative word there, that was definitely a different way of looking at risk management. How did you find that, Dale? Yeah, it was a really, really interesting discussion. Um, I mean, I I don't think I've met anyone like Charlotte that uh, has this approach to risk management. She certainly brings a fun element back into the way risk is approached throughout various organizations. She clearly knows what she's doing as well in the risk management space, but it's refreshing that, you know, that just because you know your subject matter very, very well doesn't mean you have to be boring about the way you go and apply it. And for me, I think the the way she uses sweets and treats and rewards um, in, you know, risk reviews uh, and to get the best out of people and just to get the engagement, I think is a really, really interesting approach. And and one that I think, Martin, we could apply to other areas of project management as well. Definitely. Yeah. I did this absolutely method in the madness. And she was quite fortunate to share some of her tips and tricks uh, with us. And yeah, we, we talked about a few other things. We, we covered machine learning, um, software, and, and really about the culture, because that, that seems to be her biggest um a passion is is making sure that it becomes part of the the culture and it's it's thought about on on major projects after the after the really fun workshop. So yeah, it's really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I think uh, this is a a slightly different type of chat compared to our normal serious ones. So folks, I think just sit back, just enjoy this one. Charlotte's a lot of fun, um, and there's a lot of tips and tricks that you could probably use going forward into your project. So as we say, keep listening, keep liking and keep paying it forward. Hello, project people, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. Yes, you've guessed it again. No Val Matthews on this one, but Martin Curriston is back. So can we we give you a little bit of grief, Martin, for missing the last one? Apparently, you're on some train back to London, but you're back now. How are you? Yeah. 
Very good. Yeah. How was things with you, Mr. Host of the Project Controls Expo UK? Yeah, very good. Thank you. It was a great experience. Um, it was a good turnout. So we had lots of fun there. But uh, we won't spend too much time on that. I want to talk a little about the rugby, Martin. Do you want to talk about the rugby or no? No, no I, think, I think we can move on quickly. <laughs> <laughs> As in the UK Expo Awards, you know, winning by one point, you're still a winner. So, yeah, whether you win the Rugby World Cup by one point or whether you win an award by one point, you're still a winner. But, folks, we'll move on. We have an amazing guest on this show, Charlotte Candy. How are you, Charlotte? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. And those that do know you um, know that they they know how to spot you from a mile away. You have the most amazing, colorful hair. You've had it for ages. Um, and I wonder if you don't mind as part of your origin story and how you got into where you are today. Also, perhaps tell us about the story about your hair and how that came into being. That's actually vaguely linked to my career. <laughs> So um, my background is I thought I wanted to be a solicitor. Oh, wow. So I, I went to, I got a law degree. I went to law school and the words of my mother were, you really need to get this hair color out of your system. I don't think you'll be able to do it when you're a solicitor. So from the age of 16 through to 21, I had multicolored hair. And then I went to law school and realized, yes, I did need to sort of tone it down. And then we had a recession, so actually law was not for me. I ended up in the construction industry, not quite understanding what a quantity surveyor was, but I'd have a go. And that's where I started to understand a bit more about risk management. Um, then went on and took a master's in construction, which is essentially a quantity surveying degree, still with very tame hair. Uh, and then one day, whilst I was a quantity surveyor still, I decided, well, What's the harm of a bit of red hair dye? And it did start very, very subtle. <laughs> and then I became a risk manager after accidentally becoming one, understanding that risk, quantity surveying, commercial management, they're all one of the same at times. And I actually kept it really, really, really tame until I turned 30. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I'm quite established in my career. It's only hair. Let's see how far I can push this. So I started on HS2 as a consultant and it was like a cherry red brownie colour. And then I met my hairdresser who I absolutely adore and trust with my hair and my life. And just go into her every six to eight weeks and say, just do what you like. And she has no idea what I do for a living, but her assumption is I must be quite good at it because no one would employ someone with pink and purple hair if they were a bit rubbish. <laughs> So it's an origin story and how I became a risk manager. Um, but I became a risk manager because actually I preferred the more proactive approach to dealing with claims management, deal with the risk side of things up front instead of doing it at the end. There you go. Nice. Wow, wonderful. And someone else on this uh, episode knows about red hair, So, but we'll ask him about that a little bit later. Hey, Martin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love... I love the the title I think that we've landed on for this episode, the gamification of risk management. And we briefly spoke to you, I think myself and Val, what was it, maybe over a year ago now, maybe even two years ago. I think very, it was two. Was it two years ago? And very a shortened version of a, another pod. Mm -hmm. And um we sort of danced around the topic because we didn't have a lot of time to go in depth, but we got a bit more time now. 
And so I've I've heard you present at a few different conferences and you've also shared, I guess, your ideas about gamification of risk and, <laughs> you know, perhaps how you can bring a bit of fun into risk management and also get people to think a bit differently about risk management. And so how did you, I guess, for those that haven't heard you present, how did you sort of toy with this idea and come up with the various concepts of gamifying risk? So I had to think about this earlier today because I was like, what on earth possessed me to even start playing games in the workplace? And actually it goes all the way back to my secondary education. Um, humanities is not my strong suit, but I still remember, and this is the whole reason for games being great, how one of my teachers taught me about the concept, I'm going to pronounce it incredibly badly, of Mizogi Orno, which is the disparity between the north and south of Italy. And the fact that I still know that now. So I'll explain how he, how he managed to convince us to all understand about this. Brings us all into the classroom and sits us all down and says, I've got a very, very tropical bird in my desk. If you'd like to see it, you have to say Mizogi. If you don't want to see it, you say Orno. And they managed to get 30 plus 13, 14 year olds. We've all got attitude problems at that point. Desperate to know if there was a bird really in that desk. So bar two people, they, we all said Mizogi. And he had this emu style puppet come out of his desk. Well, I now know that concept still many years later. <laughs> and I realized that's why I started doing these sort of things. And that's really ingrained in my brain. So why do we stop doing that once we're in the workplace? Why do we, why do we feel that risk management is spreadsheets? Because that's what so many people have taught us. That is what it is. So um, I decided to have a bit of fun. <laughs> And, and I did get some inspiration from games that we play. And it's not going to be the cliche that everyone says is, oh, can we play Risk? I have never played that game. I don't even know the rules of that game. But it just sounds a little bit, bit too twee, a bit too contrived for, for a risk manager to go, oh, let's go play Risk. But playing Jenga, playing card games, that's a lot more fun. Getting sweets. People like coming to workshops then. Because risk, we are a very unpopular profession in project management world. They don't want to talk to us. So try and encourage them to come and play. Let's start there. You say risk professionals are very unpopular. Why is that? We're misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> What's the perception? That we tell people no. And I will always say to people, actually, I do care. I'm not going to say I don't care, but actually you have to make the decision. I help you make decisions. I will help you make good ones. I will help you make bad ones. If you choose to take my information and then ignore it, oh well, it's not, it's not the risk manager that told you no. It's not the risk manager that made that mistake. We give you information to help you make decisions, but we are also called risk managers. The worst job title we could ever have because we don't manage risks. You're right. There's a bit of a I guess a negative connotation to the risk manager title. And I think on the last episode where we spoke to Jesse Schilling and Colin McCrory, we, we toyed with the idea that perhaps we've, we've given it the wrong title because one, it, it does have a negative connotation. And two, 
there's an assumption that no one else has to manage risk and it's the risk manager's role mm -hmm. entirely to manage risks for the entire complex mega program with billions of pounds. And, Obviously. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it's an interesting concept is do we change the title uh, or we just educate people and may, maybe it's the latter. I guess that's why you're here. Now the clues also in your name, Charlotte Candy, and you mentioned bringing sweets along uh, to your, to your risk I guess, workshops and, and yes. reviews, et cetera. Could you perhaps share some of the ideas, some of the games you've played, um, I guess, in, in your various meetings, reviews, workshops? I'm going to try not to give away all my secrets because people are going to work out what I do sometimes now. <laughs> it, uh, um, if it's a kickoff meeting for a brand new project, I turn up and sometimes people, one, don't know what risk is. So we use them as incentives to get people to identify things of say, okay, use, I use sweets that are normally um, nostalgic for people. So I will go to a supermarket and find sweets we remember from our childhood. Because all of a sudden everyone gets quite excited. Um, I think we all revert to children as soon as we see like sweets. And I'll do fastest person to come up with a risk that's fully populated. So it has its cause, it has its event and its consequence. And if they don't give me all three, no sweet. And it's amazing how competitive people get or who can get me the, the largest number of risks, but they have to be risks, not just worries that they've got that day. Um, but they also take them to help manage, the sweets are there to help manage personalities as well. If you ever come to a workshop with me and I give you something like a really chewy lollipop, that is um, a hint because people get very excited about them. They stick them in their mouth and then they realize they cannot speak. That gives some of the less confident people in the room or some of the more junior staff the opportunity to speak because the person's got a sweet in the mouth and they're just so wrapped up in that, they, they kind of forget. And I use... And they're great incentives. And then people will say to me things like, oh, you're doing a risk workshop. Is there going to be sweets? And I won't always tell people whether I'm going to bring them or not because I want them there because they want to be there. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think if you had Martin in your one of your workshops, you'd probably have to get up the double deckers. I remember Martin <laughs> used to have this, his pedestal when we still in, all in the office and used to have our own desks, you know, before you know, sharing hot desking. He used yeah. to have this the supply. He used to have, I don't know where he used to get them from. Okay. Every <laughs> supply. Day. Wow. Because exactly. I've only I've only seen them singularly. Yeah. You can get you can get multi packs. <laughs> oh well, that's good to know. Um no, I tend to um buy sort of like Haribo and like quite fizzy sweets because it's always fun to watch the reaction people's faces. Dale, what's your favorite sweet then? Because I haven't you know, done a risk workshop with you. You know what? I'm I'm actually more savory than sweet. Um, you'd have to get me with biltong or something. I'm South African, right? Um, <laughs> okay, I'll try, but I just don't know if it sits. It doesn't quite give the same illusion. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, it's, and it's not for everyone, right? I mean, we live in a world where we have diverse tastes and flavors, and get vegetarians and vegans, one. pescatarians. You know, those that perhaps need you know sugar-free sweets as well. So you have to cater for for all the different. I guess, yes. dietary requirements, but. Yeah. And it was quite challenging during lock, just before lockdown, I was giving out um, Dettol wipes and a pack of sweets and no oh, one shared. 
I was I was just about to ask you actually, um, before Martin jumps in, because I know he wants to ask you something. During lockdown, when you weren't mm-hmm. able to physically give people sweets, did you have other games that you played that didn't involve sweets? So I used to use things like Mentimeter, so do quizzes so that everyone could like fastest on the buzzer, those sort of things, just to start encouraging people. People quite liked those sorts of ones that are managed by another service because they know I'm not cheating. I haven't got any favourites. They could literally see it live, what was happening. Nice. Yeah. So when, when you're doing some of these workshops that probably come across quite wacky and I'm kind of thinking you're more corporate <laughs> environments, what's the reaction? Do, do people... Do people buy into it generally? Does it, does it kind of click after an hour? Do you get some quite, <laughs> what is this person doing? Um, why, why all, am I paying all, for this I was person say, to... All of the above, I think, come into this category. <laughs> okay. But that's not a problem. Um, but I've done it for high-profile clients. I've, I use them as, they're very good for icebreakers as well and explaining different concepts to people. So, yes, there is the first look of, oh, God, this woman's come in. She's got bright-coloured hair. I've normally got a pair of Doc Martins on and she's brought toys and sweets. What? But then actually once people see the first person have a go with like either get the, they get the prize, then people go, oh, I want to be part of that. And, and that sort of plays into what I always say is games are great because most of us have, even if we say we're not competitive, we want to win. It's a status symbol. So you, you play on that, but I, I would agree it's not for every environment. I've found construction projects are very good for it. I don't feel I could go into a finance team and get away with the same behavior. Really read your audience. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, there's, there's quite a skill in that. Ultimately, risk is about uh, managing people. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, important. Uh, another thing, you've kind of mentioned it already, and probably from both Dale and I's experience, we, I think on major programs, we, we find people tend to struggle to really articulate risks. Do you, when you go into these companies, do you have a, almost like a stock example of a, of a well-formed risk and you probably have to dumb it down, <laughs> I imagine, like without giving all away all your tips and, and tricks, what would be, what's your kind of icebreaker for your stock example of articulating so, a risk? I use a really boring one sometimes is how did you get to work? because it put it brings people back into the room because everyone got to the room somehow and then it explains to them well what could go wrong and and these are all uncertainties they don't happen every time you go to work do they we could probably use it with val and how often does your internet work <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no you you do need to have an example um i was historically known for um I have worked on some very large infrastructure projects and I might have 20 project managers all saying to me, Charlotte, I think I've got a risk. And I used to get my post-it notes out from my desk. I didn't have double deckers. <laughs> and I get a post-it note and I'd write cause, event, consequences. Can you fill these three out? I'll go away and think about it. And I said, I'm more than happy to have a chat with you later in the day if you can come back with the post-it. So I don't know if that counts as a game or a punishment. <laughs> yeah game for me punishment for them probably no it's, it's ultimately about getting you to the right answer isn't it so it's uh, yeah, and they would sometimes sometimes they'd come back to me at the end and they'd say actually charlotte 
it was just a consequence. <laughs> I'll come back another day. Brilliant. And then as we're on the theme of risk management, if we go potentially into the present and maybe future, um, we're seeing a lot more things around machine learning, AI. You know, we hear all these buzzwords. We've probably talked about it on this podcast about a hundred times. How do you, in your view, how do you think machine learning and do you think it all is going to help companies get better at risks? Do you see the risk manager role mm. being at, at, at risk or having to evolve in a way? My role is not at risk. It will change. But um, I, I was speaking at the Project Controls Expo in the yesterday that what I did five years ago is not what I did 10 years ago. And it's probably not what I'm going to do in five years time. Machine learning, AI, automation will mean I don't have to do the boring stuff, but it does mean there's still the, there's still the human element. So all these games are about, about engagement. Um, people struggle to trust a computer. If you're, <laughs> we've been brought up with, oh no, chatbots are evil. Now chatbots are our friends. So it, it's going to take a little while for people to get used to this idea. And we're still going to have to do face-to-face -face facilitation. We're still going to have to do all these workshops. But some of the sort of modeling side of things of risk management is probably going to be automated because actually it's the inputs that are really key to get get right and then being able to understand the outputs the bit in the middle well like my my team say oh you just press a button i'll just get a compute i'll just get a chatbot to press a button for me instead yeah it's an interesting one charlotte because i think i think we certainly need the technologies to speed things up supplement slow processes and perhaps even complement at times when we don't mm. have enough capacity but you still need brain power. You still need human brain power to understand the context, right? I don't think AI and machine learning have the full context yet. No. You may get there. Um, but specifically with the way we look at a lot of risks these days on, on projects are systemic, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no direct linear path to understanding the cause and effect when it comes to no. risks. Sometimes it's intuition. Sometimes it's gut feel. And we struggle as humans to articulate that, as Martin was alluding to earlier. And now we're asking machines to articulate it. So I think, yeah, humans will be around for a little while yet. Um, I think you're right. Um, but if I do bring it back to, I guess, some organizations that you deal with. Mm -hmm. And we had, like I say, on the last podcast, we spoke about levels of maturity. Do you find that different games work for different levels of maturity as well? Or do you find that um, people are people and bringing in this fun element works across the piece? Because I'm just thinking, if I'm listening to this episode about mm -hmm. how to gamify risk, are there certain elements, clues I should look out for on which types of games to potentially play with my audience? Okay, yeah, so it's a bit like building risk culture. You start looking for people who are going to enable you and help you, and you actually try and work out who's going to be quite negative towards the idea. So it's really about reading your audience. Um, so one idea that I use is like the suites, that's, that universally works. I haven't tried it at board level yet, but there's always time. But 
I found that I, I take Jenga to a lot of things. Um, okay. It's well known, with at least within my wrist team, of what has Charlotte done at the weekend. She's been painting Jenga again. So I paint it up into all the colours of whatever the client's um, PID is. I even do the proportions of red, amber, green, you name it. I, I'm there painting it. I then use that for risk ID so I can get people to think a bit more before they just go, oh, I've got a risk. I'm like, okay, then pick a colour. Um, and we do it that way. And that actually, it helps mature organisations. So you might find someone pulls out something as a red and you say, well, why is it red? And then they think about it and then someone else will challenge them. Although um, ecology, for example, well, no, it's not a red risk because we always have this on projects and we've got all these these controls now. So actually it's maybe an amber or a green. So it starts the conversation. And then I have a, another set of, I have my opportunities set as well. I have my frets set. I also have a set that I use to explain um, transfer of risk. And that's that's into you slightly more. Um, I'm not going to say it's a super advanced tool. It's just a very good visual to say, OK, so you've got your contract and you're going to transfer risk from A to the contractor. OK, so then you've put all these risks. That's going to cost you money now. You can't just keep transferring risk and thinking it's going to go away. Do you think that's right? And then we can start balancing the risk profile between the two parties. And I've used that um, quite quite regularly to, to explain to people, we look at a contract, just like looking at a risk register, it's a bit boring. And that's coming from someone who trained to be a lawyer, that I'm saying, yeah, I don't really want to read a contract, but I can visualise it. And that's what I'm tending to do with these games is actually enabling more people to participate in risk because it's not that spreadsheet that goes in the drawer. It's not that boring contract that no one really wants to read. It just makes it slightly more visual and slightly more manageable because otherwise the process is it's a long process to some people or they only see one element of it. So what's normal for me is not normal for them. Yeah. And I, I imagine that you apply, I guess, different games to different elements of risk management. So what I mean by that is if you're going in potentially to mature uh, attitude towards risk and organization, you may choose to use a game to mm -hmm. allow stakeholders to appreciate risk management, where you may use a different game in a scenario where you're reviewing risks or compiling a risk register, um, perhaps something to, I guess, encourage ideas around mitigating risk. Uh, um, are there any sort of specific types of games you use for different scenarios that you can share? I know you don't want to give away no, all no, of I don't want to give away all my secrets, <laughs> but um, some of them take a little bit more prep than just painting um, your Jenga. So there's obviously Jenga. I've done different ones for risk assessment. Um, so I, this is another occasion when my family have thought, I've gone mad. I brought lots of brightly colored card. I made a giant PID and I went to one of my clients to do a workshop. I'd already placed where they'd assessed all their risks on it. And when they saw it on the wall, they went, oh, no, 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 that's not what we meant. I said, but that's what your data is telling me. When you see it on a huge heat map on the wall, and this was when we were doing hybrid meetings, so I'd actually got um, a Teams camera on the PID. So I was being, I can only describe it as being a bit like a weather girl ago, 
Okay, so we're moving to the left, to the right. Is this a top risk? Is this a is this a low scoring risk? Uh, and then um, I sometimes use playing cards and do higher, lower, just like game shows to say, come on, so is this risk higher or lower than the last one? And then people will start discussing it. That's one of my favorite ones because it was just comedy value to see my neighbor's faces as I was placing in my garden one summer, a giant pit with them not knowing what I do for a living. I thought you said you, you were gonna take this giant pit in and then dependent on where the risks landed, you're gonna make them play Twister. Uh, the reason I don't use Twister is, do you know how many spots are on a Twister board? Uh, nine? Is it nine? No. Is it more? I don't know. I've, I've never played Twister. Upwards. <laughs> okay. I've never played Risk. You've never played Twister. Martin, any ideas? Uh, I want to say 25. No, that's why I can't use it. There's 20. Oh, no. Ah, okay. And most of the clients that I work with use a five by five. Right. And these are the things that you start finding out when you're trying to find innovative ways. <laughs> I can also tell you how many segments are on a um, Terry's chocolate orange because I was working out how to explain time to someone once. You can't use the 24 hour clock on it. I love that. I love the fact that you've, you're exploring and you're curious of how to bring fun into, into this process. Because, I mean, we were all giggling here, but it actually... We're, we're going to remember this conversation because it's fun, right? And that's what you're trying to bring into risk management. And I think we do need more of this on projects. We we work in highly pressurized situations on projects and there's tight deadlines and there's cost pressures. And by instilling a little bit of fun, I think, mm -hmm. brings back the creative juices. It allows people to think more freely. And so I think gamification of risk is a great idea. And perhaps we could even explore on how we can expand that beyond just gamification of risk but perhaps other areas of project management oh you... i've been thinking about this yeah <laughs> yeah Do you share? well i need i need some help because i'm very strong on the risk side of things i have done contracts and, mm -hmm. and scheduling is not my thing um but i can't see why it can't be like monopoly why can't we have in every school a Project controls game. I'm sorry, this sounds really quite mad and a little bit sad in some ways, but we're complaining that our industry hasn't got enough people and we haven't got the right skills. So why don't we start introducing it earlier through games? Yeah. What? Why? And I can't see why I can't have a little dice for risk. Yes, I thought about this a little bit more. Um, a calculator for cost. I don't know what to put for scheduling because I don't think a copy of P6 really, really works. But why can't we? And then people understand what our disciplines are. Because I never knew I wanted to be a risk manager. Did you know you wanted to work in project controls when you were at school? No. no none of us did. No and I just think, and then we start sowing the seeds. And then actually, then games aren't that strange when you see them in the workplace either. I've been thinking lots about this. This is this is this is true. I mean, if I if I go into I, I mean, back in when I was a kid, I guess in university, I didn't just play sports as most South Africans do. I played video games as well. I think I said it on a previous episode. It may have been with Alan Mosca. I can't remember, but um, I was saying, what if we, you know, took some city as an example, right? And if we before we even thought of going to write the business case for 
a potential big project? What if we put an idea, an outcome in a SimCity game type format with mm -hmm. a gaming company and put it out there for free to thousands and thousands of PlayStation and Xbox um, players? Mm -hmm. And they basically constructed the project or delivered the project with all the various environmental factors, with all the various risks yeah. and opportunities around. They could select which commercial contractual frameworks they wanted, which supplier, yeah. what type of supply chain they wanted. And you gave them a time period of, let's say, six months to virtually complete this project or, or program of works. And at the end of the six months, you could have a competition. You could say, you know, the winner gets a prize or whatever the case might be. And you'd come up with thousands of iterations of how this project could be built, including all of the potential things that could go wrong and mm -hmm. could go right, which commercial frameworks were used, where the resources came from, how deep the supply chain was. What about that as an idea for gamification of project management or project delivery? I think it's great. Where do we start? Who do we get hold of? I was going to say, I just don't know who the, who the proper grown-ups are to help us with this. <laughs> if you're touching, well, yeah, I can't even talk. We should get in touch with maybe Greg Lawton, Alan Mosker, the you know the the, the guys that are at the, the the bleeding edge of of pushing the boundaries of tech. Because um, I, I certainly would play a game like I, I think a lot of us in the industry would play a game like that. Because if you mess up, it's okay. Because we'd literally have the perfect digital twin. Right. Yeah, I think it's great. I even um, so I've been taking my exec MBA and we did an, a simulation for marketing on selling ice cream. And it's some, it was a simulation where you had to make the most money by making your decisions on a lean startup. And apparently I'm very good at selling ice cream, not just risk management. But then you could see a leaderboard of who'd made the most money selling these ice creams. And then we got really competitive. And that's a room full of adults selling I'm fake ice cream. How many ice creams did you sell? Uh, it wasn't about it wasn't about the units. It was about how much money I made because I found ah. a good spot. And then there was like a carnival or something ridiculous happening. So more people went the next day. It was my also about demonstrating, although we didn't realize at the time, attitudes to risk. I went very, very risk hungry. And so I, I put everything in one place, whereas people were like, oh, on Monday I'm doing this, on Tuesday I'm going to do this. I was like, no, one location, whole week made a killing and won the game well, you also bring up something good there in your um i guess your explanation of your your ice cream selling the attitude towards risk the appetite for risk as well and i just wonder can you or have you perhaps through the games you play um with risk management have you been able to alter risk attitude risk aptitude Maybe more attitude than aptitude. I think it's, or... I think it's attitude you yeah. go for. Um, you can, and that's usually by people challenging the, the individual. of like, Why have you done that? Oh, well, it always goes wrong on all my projects. And then they'll say, but how many projects have you run? And it's usually when we're playing the Jenga game. Yeah. That people that people just like to challenge each other. Because we're playing a game, we all play, we, we all sort of tease each other when we're playing games and challenge each other more often. So people just feel a bit more comfortable if they're playing a game, but they might not do if they were sat either side of a table discussing whose allocation of risk they were getting. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And do you do you, do you get feedback after you've had these sessions where you've played various games on 
how they experience through playing games and applying risk management has impact, impacted them outside of the meeting room beyond playing the game? If you mean them saying, can I come again? Can I come again? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, people, there, there's always some good feedback afterwards of, oh, that was different or, um, oh, I didn't know you could, I didn't know risk could be fun. That is my favourite favorite compliment about my workshops if they ma I've made them fun because we've all been in workshops and I think post pandemic I at least struggle to do a four hour or even a full day a full day workshop is just out of the question now I used to be able to do them but I just don't think we have the attention span so we have to do things to draw people in and keep keep them engaged so, so when you finish these workshops or, or even before how do you try and advise companies or management teams because it's about ultimately creating a risk culture is what you want so you, you yeah. do the workshops it sounds like you have a really fun day you probably have some amazing risks a really engaged team when, when are we doing yep. it next but it's about next month you know you get a kick in at the project review whatever how and making sure people come next month prepared to give new risks yeah so this is this is a it's not necessarily a game um, but it's it sort of plays into people's egos and status is um, I've done it. I know other risk practitioners that did it because I went, oh, that's a good idea. Um, you get a little trophy. It's amazing how competitive grown adults are. If you say to them, if you get the least number of outstanding actions, um, you get this trophy and you get to have it on the end of your desk for the whole whole month. And people go up to you and say, why have you got that trophy? And you tell them, because I've got the lowest number of outstanding actions. Um, and it just, it encourages competition. I know it sounds really bizarre. And I've watched it happen going, no, 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 that won't work. I went, oh, that's a really good one. Because um, it's, um, it's definitely all about ego. We all have one, but we all want to win, no matter how uncompetitive we think we are. We don't want to fail. So when, you, when you're getting these risks and, and these games, are they, you're probably targeting some of these at the doers, the guys who are probably really seeing seeing the risks. You know, mm. you're, you're maybe your engineering managers. Maybe the question I'm trying to ask is maybe at a project director level, someone who has to be a little bit more strategic. Mm -hmm. are, are you ha almost having to spend a bit more time with that person to to make sure that he or she is creating that, that environment or... Is it more um, just get the get the get the doers so engaged that they're really interacting and the process happens? What usually happens is the people who are doing the work know the risks, but they want to tell someone, so they get really excited and tell me. And then the more senior people want to know, well, how have you got them so engaged? And I explain to them and go, Oh, okay. And I I've even done this, uh, and I think this is one of my prouder moments, is I got the CEO of the Barbican <laughs> to actually play Jenga in a workshop. Um, and she was over the moon about it. She's like, oh, this is a really interesting and different way to do an icebreaker and get people to start talking to each other. And I was like, I wasn't sure when I was told the CEO was coming whether this was going to go down as well as I thought. Um, I did have my reservations, but actually it was very well received. Like I said quite early on, you really need to read your audience. And sometimes it's actually a good thing to have it with you, 
and make the decision to use it in the workshop than tell people we're going to play a game because it, it, it gives the impact the first time. And then people understand that if they go to a risk workshop for me, it's going to be a big occasion. But I'm not going to give you sweets just for doing your outstanding actions. No. <laughs> Otherwise, the, the novelty factor and the, the sort of incentive loses its value if you do it for every single activity and you do it the same way every single time. I think at one of my projects, oh no, Dale, you're going to, you're, de you're definitely going to be concerned about me. I used to have a set of fairy wings and a wand, and I used to use it for opportunities workshops. <laughs> so if you could have <laughs> free wishes, what would you wish for there to be more of or better on this project? But I used to keep it in the cupboard along with my star-shaped wish suites. And I wouldn't decide what I was going to take to the workshop until I got to site because I realised that the um, guys on site were obviously talking to each other. Of Let's see what ridiculous thing we can get Charlotte to do this, this week. But they all came to the workshops for a reason. <laughs> I don't have the wings and the wand anymore. I found it doesn't, doesn't quite work as well. I would love to see that happen in the workshop, <laughs> especially on a construction project. I, yeah, it was a nuclear site. A nuclear, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not forgotten. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. But, but I think that's that's the challenge ultimately, isn't it? It's getting people to really think about risk and it, it becoming, you know, I keep banging on about the word culture. It, it's getting people engaged and making sure people think of think of it and it's not just captured in a spreadsheet on day one and never thought of again so that's you know all these innovative, weird, innovative yeah. ways are, are really helping with that yeah because i always say like there's lots of definitions of culture but i like to use the definition it's it's the things you do even though no one's watching if you still can carry on doing it yeah you've got a culture there of risk management or whatever service you're trying to embed people are still asking you what do I do next then you've come quite embedded it yet definitely so one thing that we touched upon earlier was software mm -hmm. um obviously all these amazing post-it notes have to get converted into into some form of risk register it has to be all you know nicely mm -hmm. nicely labeled not organized are there any emerging softwares that you think are going to really change the market in the next few years or what 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 softwares do you really like using for, at the moment? For, is for is it just about the process? Well, no, it's just making sure that the, the process happens eventually. So when you write up these amazing post-it mm -hmm. notes, do you just focus on the process and stick them in a spreadsheet and, you know, it, it happens? Or it, are there some quite cool softwares that you think can really help teams in so, the future? Um, I'm going to say, do I think they're cool? I think because of the pandemic, we started having to look for digital solutions. So things like Miro, I found really helpful because actually I can do different time zones. I can stick up a whiteboard, say, drop your risks on there. Um, we've done quizzes, games, um, using Mentimeter and other, other products. Um, and it's all about just finding numerous ways to visualize this stuff, especially when we're in a remote environment, that if you can't see it, it's sometimes really hard. Especially with risk, I think even, even as a risk practitioner, I went to one of my sites post-pandemic that I hadn't been able to go on. I went, 
oh, I now understand why the risks were so significant because we were trying to build on like a sliver of land. <laughs> so you need to physically be able to see some things. So um, I don't think, unless anyone else knows, there's any products that really help with the, apart from making the risk register a different color, there's not that many tools that visualize and make risk management that that exciting hence most of the solutions i've got are quite physical ones at the moment and that's like like dale said if we had games that we could actually play and actually i've i've done similar but i've had to come up with the scenarios and then give people the card because i'm not that capable of creating um something digital like that but that is what we need to teach people and actually i think sellerfield do it for some of their ops for some of their high risk ops, they've got loads and loads of um, virtual reality kit and all the rest of it. Nice. And it's amazing so that they can practice so that when they do the real thing, they do it once because um, you don't want to do it twice. And we don't necessarily have that for the construction industry yet, or it's not easily accessible to, it's probably in academia still at the moment. It's not going to be with your main contractors because it's going to be seen as a bit of a gimmick when actually you can still physically do these things. Yeah. But that's uh, just my view. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a good view. It's a great view because I think, you know, you you probably, I don't know if you've come across anyone else that's doing what you're doing. I, I certainly haven't, Charlotte. And I think it's amazing because you're bringing in a new element to, as I say, to the mundane project controls, risk management processes that, you know, we go through. And I, I think Martin kind of, asked you earlier about sort of you know the reactions you get to to your approach when people encounter your approach for the first time and i asked you about i guess some feedback that you get afterwards and do you ever get any negative feedback from people to go oh, you know i don't think that was great or whatever the case but do you do you have that yeah um i'm going i have nothing against health and safety professionals i'm just going to stress this before i say it but making light of risk management is not always seen as a positive yeah. um and i get that and actually charlotte is quite a serious topic i i'm not saying it's not a serious topic but i think to get engagement even in serious topics we we have to use humor we have to use games and and i guess there's always going to have to be that balance right because there is a serious element to risk management on projects because mm -hmm. If things do go wrong, that could potentially cost someone their life at the very yeah. serious end. That could potentially be life-changing should a accident happen mm -hmm. on site. Um, and health and safety is a, a very serious topic that mm -hmm. we should place um, the right focus on and, and put the right lens on. Mm. I guess um, I guess it's that balance. How do you measure the success of the different methods you apply um, is is there is, is is it a feedback form is it just what people say afterwards or do you have a specific way to track whether something hit home or not well it's usually if i can see an improvement on the risk management metrics if ah, i can okay. see people if i see a spike in the number of risks that aren't being mitigated or reviewed actually we've got a problem it probably hasn't hit the right mark but if we're starting to see the rate of risks that are overdue or actions that are overdue dropping 
that's that's a nice metric to show and you can show that to leadership teams and say okay this and this has happened there's a there's a causal link um when it comes to identification of risk it could be a case of well our registers are normally like six risks long now they're 30 but they're 30 good quality risks instead of having just um impacts impacts seem to be everyone's favorite topic to put in a risk register why is that I think it's because it's the first thing they think of, of, oh my God, it's going to it's going to be late, it's going to be expensive. But I have a most despised risk is I go into workshops and people say, there's a risk the project is going to be delayed. And I said, yes, that is very valid, but why? Because there's so, basically that is the risk register. <laughs> All the so, whys of why they're going to be late. So I, I guess building on from Martin's earlier question, I guess around the different levels of seniority in organizations or in project organizations, do you see a change in behavior based on any games you bring in? Because often what we see is, and, and, and maybe, you know, in some more mature organizations, people aren't afraid to say these risks will happen, this is what we can do about them and give the full mm. impact, cost and schedule impact and any other yeah. impacts. And then it gets to senior level and all of a sudden they go, nah, that's not going to happen. They veto it. Um, do you do you ever see a change in attitude as it permeates through the, the I guess, the upper echelons of, of the organization to sort of try and downplay risks or or is that not something that really goes no, all the way it, through? It, it does happen. And it's because all humans are like this. We get battle scars and we decide actually if it's always going to happen or or it cannot happen anymore. They, you've mentally made this decision that, no, I'm no longer going to have ground condition risks on my projects because I know every inch of that site. Well, you can't. And I think that's that's the role of lots of risk practitioners is just to challenge what is your bias behind that decision? Have you made it based on science or is it just that you've had some really poor experiences? And that, that's something that most risk practitioners need to really get to grips with is um, cognitive bias, um, why people understanding the people in the group that you're managing and facilitating for, what are their previous experiences been to projects or even to risk managers? So I go to projects where, oh God, it's another risk manager. Well, if they've had four or five risk managers that have made little impact into their day-to-day um, they're going to have a negative attitude towards me before I start. And then I turn up with the games. That's not a good combination, by the way. If someone's really anti having a risk manager there and you turn up with your, your Jenga and your sweets on the first day, and it's my comment that you really need to check your audience before you start this. But we all have bias and it really, really clouds our judgment. So it's really something risk practitioners need to sort of acknowledge. You can't necessarily change people's bias but you just need to appreciate they have them and understand how to reflect them in your, your results. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and I guess following on from that, what advice would you have for those risk practitioners that perhaps aren't too comfortable playing games? Is there another approach that they could use that would mm -hmm. make what they do more engaging, um, I guess, more meaningful to those that they work with? It's about getting to the root causes and understanding the project. Um, games is one way to get it out, but it's actually about 
don't just turn up to your project and do the tick box exercise of I've done my risk register, I've done my updates, I'm done. Understand why does the engineer think that we're all mad doing that sort of design? Find out what they want to do. Actually, just ask questions. Be curious. You don't have to use a game, but you could be curious by just asking questions. The best thing about my job is I am not an expert in everything. I like risk, but I've worked in water, aviation, highways, uh, nuclear. I've worked in lots of sectors. I am not a specialist in all of those areas, but I have learned the skill of asking the right questions and understanding. It's okay to say, I don't understand what you're saying to me. I've had people draw things for me. Um, giving me an idea of scale because I couldn't quite grasp how big this item was on site because I've got a lot of money against it. Well, they said, oh, well, it's the same size as like six, um, six Wembley stadiums. I said, okay, now I understand why it's that expensive. It's about really understanding and caring about the project you work for. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. I think you're right. It's that context, that curiosity, that care, that invested interest that you're not just going through the process. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people reduce risk management to a spreadsheet, right? We've mm -hmm. yeah, yep. It's in the spreadsheet. We've captured it. We're reporting on it, and it is what it is. Um, but I want to bring Martin back in because I know he's got a few questions <laughs> dying to ask you. Um, I, <laughs> I got one. I'm slightly curious about so obviously after the pandemic that must have been quite a major leveler for a lot of companies in terms of how they treat risk management and mm -hmm. in the UK we've got the COVID inquiry going on at the moment and you know the headline is the government were pre weren't prepared for, for it yeah who'd have thought that mm -hmm. but it turns out they kind of were prepared for a different type of pandemic and I suppose my question is are you seeing a change in how businesses treat risk management to be more maybe more all-encompassing or are they has there been a shift in in what you've seen since the pandemic and how businesses are treating risk management i think it's not just a pandemic the last five years has produced some of the most unpredictable years going we've had brexit we've had a pandemic um we've had the suez canal for supply chain we've had um cost of living we do not have a set of data that's stable enough for us to do forecasting for the future yet. Um, but it has meant that people have gone, I don't know what to do. Um, the week that we went into lockdown, I, I had clients ringing me up saying, so Charlotte, what are we going to do about this COVID stuff? Uh, and the best, best one to me was, so how long do you think it's going to last? If I knew that answer, do you think I'd be here speaking to you today? But people just... Firstly, didn't quite understand what, what risk managers were there for. They were like, oh, you're going to fix all our problems. And then when we go, well, we know as little as you. I wasn't alive the last time we had a pandemic. Um, but I can start informing you of like, well, if you had to stop working for this long, I can say it may take this long to recover. And, you, and I can give you an idea of how late you may be. Um, but we've got clients being more comfortable with uncertainty because they've got a risk manager now who can we can't fix their problems but we can say actually it's uncertainty you have to start getting comfortable with the world is not black and white it's lots and lots of shades of gray um 
but there has been a huge demand for risk managers now. And this is probably where AI helps us with some of the um, some of the modeling because there is not enough of us. <laughs> and there's products like Inclus that do collaborative workspaces so you can start doing workshops and placing risks on like, actually, there you go. I found one that's nearly like what I do, but remotely. Um, there is products out there that are trying to help us be able to do things quicker and faster because we can't produce enough risk managers. There's only one university in the UK that does an undergraduate degree in risk management and it doesn't even that much focus on project risk management. So we still have to teach people when they join the workforce. So, yeah. so you're saying there that there's more of a demand for risk managers and risk management. Mm -hmm. Do you mean, so how would you read that is that a sense of people want people want to do the pro companies want to do the process to avoid being stung financially is it people want comfort that we have a bunch of stuff listed on a spreadsheet somewhere that's going to tell mm -hmm. us do people want or do, or are you seeing it as people want some kind of financial forecaster kind of nice monte carlo p50 p70 whatever is it almost comfort in having something on paper like that or are you, is it more people wanting to see the, the process in action? I think it's all of those and people want to be seen to do the right thing now because there is a the world is so much more transparent and visible than it ever was five years ago, 10 years ago. You cannot be seen to give something lip service and you have to be seen to doing the right thing and the right thing is by having competent, qualified professionals doing this instead of... Oh, don't worry. We'll just get someone to put an extra extra tab on the spreadsheet. It'll be fine, and we've covered it. There's a lot more governance around risk management. There's qualifications that the profession is growing, and clients are now realising that if you look at Crossrail, if even COVID inquiry, we now look going. Oh well, maybe if we'd done a bit more understanding of the risk management, we can't tell them that we would have solved the saved the world. That's not our job, but we yeah. may have been able to um, given a bit of, given a bit of challenge, but as much as we give the challenge, we have to be listened to. Definitely. And that's sometimes where we get very frustrated as a profession that we, we shout and say, you've got a problem, but then people go, oh, well, that's not the story we want to hear today. Um, and it's probably, so I think the analogy for um, the COVID is it's a gray rhino. We knew it was there. Yeah, we get black swans, we've got grey rhinos now. <laughs> um, but we knew it was there. But because we haven't had a pandemic in most of our lifetimes, we've had SARS, we've had MERS, we've had all of these things that were going to wipe us all out and they never did. We got complacent. And then we hadn't got all the steps and measures in place when something like COVID hit. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You can stay on your soapbox, Charlotte. Um, I was just thinking while you're chatting there as well, you must have had some pretty interesting and fun and funny moments um, with various groups. Are you willing and able to share some of maybe your top three or five funny moments playing these games? And what I've what, got what a good happens? one. I've got a good one. You can laugh at me. So I once decided, in my infinite wisdom, I was going to do horizon scanning because it was something I knew, something new I'd learned on my Institute of Risk Management qualification, and I was going to do it. 
So I got my WEF report out and I found what the top risks were. And I went to the MD of the company I was working for and said, I want to hold a workshop with the board. And they went, yes, of course, Charlotte, you can. And I turned up and I had my three predictions for the future because I was trying to explain the context of why they needed to do this horizon scanning. The first one was that Brexit would happen and they laughed me out the room. The wow. second one, because then we had a European supply chain, that is what I decided was an appropriate thing to discuss. The second one, because um, we had an American parent company, was that, um, what's his name? He's really annoying. He's orange. <laughs> was president. Trump? Yeah, there we go. He's orange. <laughs> orange. <laughs> so I said, President Trump is going to become, well, Trump is going to become president. And they said, no, 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 Charlotte, that won't happen. And the third one did not happen. The third one was that Jeremy Corbyn was going to become prime minister. And he has a very, at the time, he had a stance on nuclear projects. And I said, we need to consider the variables of if this happens. So we had a very good, we had a giggle. Yeah, that was great fun. No, Charlotte. And we went down the sensible anti-bribery and corruption. We did all the sensible risks. Until I went on holiday, Brexit happened. And the call I got when I got back to the office was, would you like to go and see the MD? So Charlotte, what do you think of this Brexit stuff? And I came out with, I've got my analysis here. There you go. Oh, okay. I didn't do any of, on, the, on Trump. I did not do an analysis because I, that was out of my, my depth. But that's when I thought I was having fun with a game and then it actually it turned out to be nearly true. I can't actually predict the future, by the way. It's just that people thought these were such ridiculous ideas. Yeah. Now, if I went into a room now with those three scenarios, do you think people would think, think it's that ridiculous? So that's my favourite one. <laughs> I also Absolutely. have to tell people in other workshops, I've got my second one there, is I'll say to people, can you tell me what keeps you up at night? And I normally say, and can it be risk-related? And this man said to me, my dog. <laughs> okay, I need to clarify what we mean now. <laughs> I need to put really clear ground rules when I put games in. <laughs> okay. But that, that could be a risk, right? If you did a, uh, you know, a safety-critical role and yes. you get enough sleep, <laughs> right? And his dog kept him up at night, it would be important that he got enough rest. Well, you've done very well, Dale, at trying to get that back to the topic. But I just I just stood there a little bit stunned. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. This has gone very wrong. I don't know how I'm going to recover from this. So they're, they're my two favourites. But the, the one about the horizon scanning is still probably one of my favourites that I like to tell people about. No, those are awesome because you're right. We, there's, you know, as you say, grey rhinos, black swans, whatever you want to call them, right? Um, these events happen and we've spoken about this on the podcast before where politicians impact projects more than we actually realize and I, I've also seen on a, a risk register a couple of years ago now um, they actually did have the likelihood of Boris um, sort of leaving government or not um, because he's, he had ups and downs when he was prime minister mm -hmm. in the UK and that would have impacted you know the program um, based on on his views on mm -hmm. 
on where to spend money. So I think it's 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 wise, I think, to think about these things and do a rise in scanning. So I think <laughs> although they they fun and they funny, um, mm. they're important as well. I think it's important. And it's yes. just another, I guess, great point, great example you bring up of having fun when we're doing this, although it is serious stuff we're doing. There's no harm in having a bit of fun along the way um, in, in executing and delivering projects as well. But look, you know, we've, we've spoken to you the best part of an hour and we haven't done this little feature that we used to do for many of our episodes before, but we'd love to Ooh. bring it back. And for this, I'm going to hand back to Mr. Martin Carriston. Yeah, back for one night only. Um, yeah, it's a section called Fiverr. It's five quickfire questions. So if you're ready, let's make a start. Okay, let's see okay. what I can do. Number one, what's your book recommendation for our listeners? Oh, no. I read about five or six books a month. Um, oh, no. I can't, give, I can't say that one. No, it's a completely inappropriate title. So what I'm going to say is... Um, Oh, it's a really good one on my um, think, um, act like a leader, then think like a leader. And I can't remember who it's by. Uh, yeah, I know which one you mean. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll jump on <laughs> up. Uh, number two, are leaders born or made? Hmm, I think they're made. I think if you're given an opportunity, you can be a leader. Yeah, interesting. Number three, if you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why? Oh, this is really cheesy, but when I won Risk Manager of the Year, because I won it with pink hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, if you had to be stuck in a lift with three people, who would you want them to be? Do they have to be people? No. Well, then in that case, it will be my two dogs and my sister. Sister, <laughs> not a person? Yes, but oh. the other, I'm oh. definitely sure the dogs are not. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, finally, if you were to have one superpower for a day, what would it be? Oh, no, as a risk manager, I'm supposed to say the power like seen into the future. But actually, I'd just like to be able to rewind some of the things I've done in the past. <laughs> so time machine then. Yes, the ability please. to travel time, I think. Yes. Summed it up. Charlotte Candy, it's been amazing to have you on this podcast. You've been such a great sport. Uh, I loved chatting to you about the way you approach risk with games. I love the tips and I guess the 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 examples and the real life examples that you've shared with the listeners today about your successes and some of the failures and how to overcome them. Just bringing a bit of fun back into what we do is I think a really, really important aspect that I've certainly taken away. Um, so thank you so much for coming on to the Project Shadow podcast and sharing your thoughts, ideas and, and experiences. Before we let you go, though, is there anything final, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Um. We should all start thinking differently about risk. How can we engage people better? And how can we make more people want to participate in the industry?
yeah, I, I I couldn't have said that better. I feel like you need a mic to just drop it there and just maybe we'll put a sound effect in or something like that. But it's as I say, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and um we really appreciate your time. We'd love to have you back once you've developed the games more, perhaps patented some of them and making your millions <laughs> off of, you know, gamification of risk. But thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Thank you. It's been our absolute pleasure. So there you go, folks. That is all the time we have for this episode. But remember, if you like what you heard, please do help us pay it forward and share a link to this episode on your favorite social media. Once again, a massive thank you to our guest on this episode, Charlotte Candy. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Martin, it's bye for now. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant, you just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.